you would make your way to 1 Samuel chapter 4. 1 Samuel chapter 4. Grateful that you decided to come back. It's rainy, it's kind of cold and yuck outside, and yet you made your way back, and we're grateful for that. A couple of things Honey Adams and um, Bill Elliott both were, have been in hospice and both passed away today. So be thinking about those families who lost loved ones and, and the week ahead we're going to be having some funerals and be mindful of them and um, prayerful of them and then there are others who have got things going on it just seems like I had a lot of uh, we've had a lot on our list of those folks and so just be mindful because it's easy to get busy with your stuff and and uh, forget them uh, we've got guess who's coming to dinner coming up pretty soon be sure to be signing up for that again all that is is a an evening to go eat somewhere and you have no idea where you're going until about 30 minutes before you go and then we give you their address and you get to go and and uh, and eat with some folks you don't normally get to or or in your case if you're a guest you get to go to some people's houses uh, that you don't get to uh, haven't been to before most likely and so if you can if you're interested in that and you're just gonna it's like taking a deck of cards and just scramble them right you just kind of or whatever you call it shuffle them you're just shuffling you around as a as a church 1 Samuel chapter 4. Have you ever seen this before? It's, it's called shorthand. Anybody seen this before? This is, secretaries, I think, used to know this stuff when you're taking dictation of people and they're speaking real fast and you've got to write down words or letters real fast. I have no idea what any of that says, but each one of those marks stands for a word or, or a series of words. I don't know how they do that, but I find that so incredibly impressive. Uh, just looking at a certain symbol and you get a word out of it. I want you to think of expanding this even more. Think about a particular place. See this picture. Does anybody know what this picture is? You may re recall in history, remember, and it's, it's kind of their cry to rally people to courage and rally people to fight for vengeance for what uh, the Mexicans did to them. Next one. Does anybody know what this is? Auschwitz, right. It's uh, one of the concentration camps, probably the most famous, well-known one, and awful things happen there. And, and just a picture is supposed to strike into you uh, the soberness of what human beings can do to each other, the strength of hate and all that. Just take one picture of these. these I, I think about these things, these one particular thing or word that calls to mind a series of things or maybe a, a flood of emotions. I can think of a few years from now, I think about 35 years from now, some of you going down to that hill, going down to the bottom of this hill where the church first started and you stand there and it's, let's just assume it's still nothing there and you're standing there, there's not even concrete left and you just remember what happened there and all the things that flood into your mind. These things might inspire courage, remembrance, sorrow, maybe hope. God uses this tactic a lot, and in the sermon that uh, was just read moments ago from Jeremiah, God does this, and, and you probably didn't catch it. It's easy to miss, but God goes before his people, and he says to Jeremiah, I want you to go to the doors of the temple and open up the temple when everybody's in worship, and I want you to preach to them right there at the temple gate. I don't want you to go in from the pulpit. I want you to go right into the doors, and I want you to yell people, 
amend your ways, change your ways, change your behavior. Because guys, if you think just because you have this building and just because you meet here once in a while that it pays off or covers over all your horrible actions before you got here and all the horrible actions you'll return to when you leave here, if you think that this building and coming here, just the fact that you have this temple that bears my name and has my presence, that just because you have that, it excuses all your terrible behavior, I got news for you. The days for this building are numbered. They would have never believed a message like that. They had the God's house for crying out loud, right? And they had the temple sitting right there. And as long as they had the temple, no one can harm them, right? He says, I want you to go to Shiloh and see what I did there. Go to Shiloh. I'm listening to that sermon. I'm going, Shiloh? What's Shiloh? Raise your hand if you know go to Shiloh and see what I did there Steve's one anybody else know what God did at Shiloh Amen. you're kind of stumped aren't you you're like that's that's weird he, he expects them to hear the word and to know it he expects that place name to generate this memory and to generate this emotion and cause some kind of reaction and part of the reason that the people don't respond to the message of Jeremiah is they have no idea what Shiloh is And we need to know what Shiloh was. What exactly happened there? And that's why we're in 1 Samuel chapter 4. Samuel has arrived on the scene. We know that in chapter 1. We know in chapter 3, God has started speaking to Samuel. And the people start knowing it. And they are so grateful that God now makes appearances and now has a word that he speaks in real life, in real time to people through Samuel. And that's great. But chapter 4, Samuel disappears. Samuel's not even in chapter 4. It's like suddenly he, he just evaporates. And now all you've got is you've got God and Eli and Israel fighting against the Philistines. It's weird. And so here we are, the battle, the Philistines near Ebenezer. The, the, the Philistines are there. The, uh, they're at Aphek, and, Aphek and uh, Israel is Ebenezer here. The Philistines draw up against Israel, they're going to go to this battle, they're going to have this fight, and the Israelites, God's people, get spanked. 4,000 men die that day. It's a devastating loss. And they get together and they go, what in the world happened? We're the people of God. God is supposed to fight for us. What happened here? And they ask the right question. And really, what should be inserted here, it should be, they all went to Samuel and said, what gives here? They didn't go to Samuel. Instead, they back up and they say, hmm, I know what we need to do. We need to go get the Ark of the Covenant of God. We need to go grab our suitcase with God in it, and we need to march him out here. All we need is God in the battle. If we bring God, if we haul him out here, and we just go into the battle with God present with us, he'll give us the victory then. And they're pretty pumped about this idea. You know, this ark is where God sits between the cherubim, right? So this is where God lives. He's sitting here. So they, they, they pack God up, and they go, and they bring him into the battle, thinking now that God's here, we're going to win. And not only that, but they bring Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of, of Eli, with them. Now, this should have been a major sign of a mistake. Because what Samuel's already told them is that God is going to kill Hophni and Phinehas on the same day. You should stay as far away from these two men as you can. They are like an omen. 
It's like they have cancer. You should stay, not cancer, but something really contagious, like they have the flu. You walk in here right now, and you have one of those mouth things on. When you got the flu, we're all out of here, <laughs> right? Well, that's the way it should be with Hophni and Phineas, but they don't. They bring Hophni and Phineas, and they bring the covenant of God, or the, the, the tabernacle of God with the covenant pieces in it, and they march it out there. Now we've got God with us. We've put him in our pocket, and now we've got good luck. He's our good luck charm. And it does seem to boost morale. As you read the chapter, it says the people were ecstatic. They gave a shout, a shout with this giant pep rally that shook the earth. And the Philistines even heard the noise of shouting. And they sent some spies out there and they look and they say, oh, the gods of Israel have now joined them. And they think the God that saved them from the the ones of the plagues, that God is now with them and they're scared to death. And the Egyptians, not the Egyptians, that was the plagues. The Philistines are sitting here going, we've been defeated. We don't need to fight this. We're going to get whipped. Their gods have now come into the camp. So you've got the Israelites pepped up and pumped up, and you've got the Philistines scared out of their boots, and you should expect victory here. That's not what happens. If you'll notice verse 10, a weirdly crafted sentence. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated. It doesn't say the Philistines defeated the Israelites. It says the Philistines fought, Israel was defeated. They lost 30,000 men this time, a complete slaughter. It was as bad as last year's National League Championship Series, a total overwhelming sweep like a slam dunk. A herald ran from the battle that day. He ran uphill 20 miles to, re- to, to return the, the report of this battle to Eli, who was sitting where he normally sits. And here he is, this guy runs 20 miles, and he's all messed up because part of the message is you embody it. And so the people seeing him come realize from his all messed up out, uh, appearance that this is not good news. But Eli can't see. So Eli is dependent upon hearing the message. And here's the message. Israel has run off. He said all the men ran home. That's kind of battle over. Israel was defeated. That's the second part. Number three, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. Now, as if that isn't bad enough, that's not worse. The worst thing is the last part. The Ark of the Covenant has been captured. At this, Eli, who's old, blind, apparently heavy, falls over and breaks his neck and dies. At that very moment, one of those two boys who died has a wife, right? And she's pregnant with a child, and she has this child, and she dies in, the, in giving birth to this child. And, but, but before she dies, she names this child Ichabod, which means the glory has departed. God has left the building. The people of God no longer have God to be a people. But God didn't leave. It was them who left. It doesn't say here, there's a gap here, but what we understand now is the Philistines march on to Shiloh and completely destroy the house that took care of the Ark of the Covenant up until this time, and all that's left is rocks. And now years later, Jeremiah is standing at the temple, the glorious temple of Solomon, in its permanent structure, a wonderful, glorious place that's just beyond compare, and he stands and says, guys, 
This place is going to look like Shiloh before God's done with it. You know what Shiloh means now? There are two main messages when God says go to Shiloh. Two things he wanted to say. It's like remember the Alamo. Now remember Shiloh. It's not, it's not a message of vengeance. It's a message of repentance. If we don't straighten up our behavior, act like the people of God, even though we have God in our midst as in the form of this temple or this place that houses the Ark of the Covenant, it doesn't matter. God's going to destroy it. So here's the first message about Shiloh. The defeat of God's people was brought on by God himself. The defeat of God's people was at the hand of God himself. The Philistines fought, but Israel was defeated. Israel was defeated by their own God. Here's Psalm 78, 56. But they put God to the test and rebelled against the Most High. They did not keep his statutes. Like their ancestors, they were disloyal and faithless, as unreliable as a faulty bow. They angered him with their high places. They aroused his jealousy with their idols. When God heard them, he was furious. He rejected Israel completely. He abandoned the tabernacle of Shiloh, the tent he had set up among humans. He sent the ark of his might into captivity, his splendor into the hands of the enemy. He gave his people, he was furious with who beat the Israelites that day. Their God did. This is a weird thing. It reminds me of one of the weirdest scenes in all of Scripture. But what an amazing message and a reminder to all of God's people when on the eve of Jericho battle, Joshua sees the commander of the Lord's army. Do you remember this? And he walks up to him and says, are you on our side? Do you remember what the commander of the Lord's army said? No. I'm on the Lord's side. We may be the church and we may be the people of God, but here's the real truth. God's not on our side. We need to stay on God's side. It's God's side that's important. And when, you, when you're right and you're, and, you're, and you're holy and you're right in tune with God, you're on God's side and you've got his favor. But you know what? You might, you might call yourself the people of God, but if you're not doing what God wants you to, then you're not on his side. And that's why it says the Philistines fought and the Israelites were defeated. It's a weird way of saying it, but he's making sure they know that if God's people don't act like God's people, God will vacate the building. There's a second message, though. And it was this neat message, because after they lost the first round of this battle, they come back together and they huddle and they say, what in the world happened? Oh, yeah, what we need to do is bring God into this. We need to carry God in our suitcase and bring him out there, and he'll be like our good luck omen. And they thought they could manipulate God to compensate for not changing their behavior, not changing their way of life. They could have a casual disregard of living for God, but they could carry him around and just go to worship him. Or maybe, maybe there's people like this. I can live any way I want to, but as long as I go to the church building and worship on Sunday, it kind of pays off my huge gap of immoral behavior. That's kind of how we can do that. Shiloh is a message that says, listen, God will be against you sometimes if you're not living right for him. But the, the other part of this message is, don't think you can manipulate God. Don't think that you can trick him. Don't think you, he doesn't see. So when Jeremiah stood at the temple and pulled that Shiloh alarm, said, guys, God is saying to you, if you don't change right now, this great structure that you 
you are assuming will protect you through anything. He'll knock this down just as surely as he did Shiloh. Your acts of worship will not cover over a life of a lack of faithfulness. It won't do it. It's not powerful enough. And what ends up happening is that they go into 70 years of captivity after that amazing structure is completely obliterated. It's a pile of rocks now just like Shiloh was. It's a message to God's people. Do not presume upon God. It is a dangerous thing to do. They didn't heed that message. They didn't remember what Shiloh meant. And so they relived the whole thing through Jerusalem, through the temple destruction to the Babylonians. Have we learned this truth as God's people? Because you see, this is our story. This is our history. We're prone to forgetting these same truths as Israel ever was. Shiloh is part of our story, a part of our spiritual genealogy. But for it to have its impact, we have to know what it means. We have to know what happened there. I believe God still practices that, disciplining his people. Sometimes God allows you to be defeated in your life. And he wants to use those defeats to draw you closer to him for you to ask, what do I need to do to make sure I'm right with him? That's what discipline is supposed to do. And we must remember Shiloh to say, let's be careful with our worship, right? We've got the right acts and we're doing the right spirit for that one hour on Sunday. But don't forget to give proper attention to the lifestyle God asks you to live on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. One doesn't pay off the other. One doesn't excuse anything from the other. I'm reminded from this of 2 Peter chapter 1 where, where we're told his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness, everything that we could possibly need to live the kind of life that God wants to empower us to live. It's all right here, but, but he says, he goes on to it from there and says, you've got to add to your faith. You've got to keep practicing your faith and add to those things. Keep living it out because if you don't, you'll forget you've been forgiven of your past sins and you will live a life of complacency and you will lose what you had. That's really what Shiloh is. It's an amazing thing to be the people of God and to have his presence in our life. It's an amazing privilege to be able to come up this hill Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night and be able to worship God and access him as a community of people. It's a wonderful privilege. But may we never forget that it's a covenant we make that governs every moment of our lives and obligates us to care about what he thinks about everything. We've taken a trip back to Shiloh tonight. We've gone to Shiloh to see what God did there. Israel got that trip from Jeremiah and it didn't change them. I hope for us in the trip that we've taken back to Shiloh, we remember what God did there. And may that be enough. May that be enough for us to know the incredible privilege it is to have God's blessing on our life is also a corresponding responsibility. And to know that it could be taken away if we become presumptuous, thinking that we've got God in our pockets. May we as people of God always be grateful, always be conscious that we have an obligation to fulfill and a lifestyle to live. 
there's anyone who needs to respond this evening, we make it known and make it possible for you at times like this to be able to say, if there's something amiss in my life, something I've, I've, let, I've let go, something I'm not paying attention to, and I want to draw attention to it and repent of it, or, or maybe you want to become a child of God, that is available to you tonight, right now, as we stand and sing to encourage you. Why keep Jesus waiting? Waiting in the cold, he will bear.